Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Acts, the 10th chapter. Be reading verses 34 through 48. Hear now God's Word. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The Word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That Word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things uh, which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness uh, through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water, that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Thus far, the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. You may be seated. The beginning of this chapter, last week we looked at the conversion of two men. Uh, We see the vision that God gave to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Gentile. Uh, God sent an angel and told him uh, to call, uh, to send for Peter to come and speak to him. And then we also see Peter having a vision, and in that vision, uh, down came a sheet full of unclean animals. God told Peter to uh, kill those animals and to eat them, and Peter protested that he couldn't do that because he'd never eaten anything unclean. And then God proceeded to reveal to Peter and to tell him that not only could he eat these animals, but in fact, uh, people were no longer unclean, that, uh, that God showed no favoritism. And in fact, that theme is going to continue today. So we see Cornelius, who is going to now hear the gospel, be converted to Christ. But we also saw Peter, who had had all of his life been raised up in a tradition that viewed Gentiles, all those outside of the Jewish nation, as unclean, even considered Gentiles to be dogs. You would never have them come into your house, and you would never go into their house But in this text, we see both of those things happening. We see Peter coming into the home of Gentiles. We see Peter inviting uh, Gentiles into his home. And uh, we see a transformation happening in Peter. And we're going to see this continue through the book of Acts, uh, even in the next chapter when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and relates this story 
to the Christian, the Jewish Christians there, and they want to know, how could you have gone into the house of a Gentile? How could you do this? And so we see God overthrowing uh, this notion of racism uh, or uh, uh, the hatred of other ethnic groups, that the gospel is the answer to that. Because sin is the cause of that, and the gospel is the answer to sin. And as sin is removed, as God reunites us together in Christ from every tribe, from every tongue, from every race, this is the answer to the problem that plagues the world. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, people have distorted the Bible and twisted the Bible, and and Christians have been part of that, unfortunately. That's because they weren't instructed and in what is clearly laid out in the Bible that says this barrier has been broken down. So we're going to see that further today as we listen to Peter's sermon. I did want to point out one other thing from last week's text, and it's found in verse 24 through 26 of this chapter. And it says this, And the following day uh, they entered Caesarea, and that this is Peter and his entourage, as well as the three that Cornelius had sent to retrieve Peter. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Remember, uh, Cornelius is a leader. He has a big household. He's over a hundred men, uh, in, and that's why he's a centurion. And uh, so he's gathered a pretty good crowd there, knowing that Peter is on the way. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius, the text says, met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. So clearly there was a great deal of anticipation and expectation with Cornelius as he had gathered family and friends to hear from Peter. And we were told earlier that Cornelius was a devout family man. And now this event is probably, by the way, about ten years after the day of Pentecost. And there was no doubt a fair amount of information about Peter, uh, who he was, and the kinds of things that he had done during that ten-year period. So Peter is well known as the leader, one of the chief apostles of Christ that is leading this powerful uh, movement, if you will, thousands and thousands have been converted. And so, again, word has gotten out. So Peter's visit is a big deal for Cornelius. In fact, his first response to Peter went too far. He was being, Peter was being treated like some kind of a celebrity, and Peter was not going to have any of that. And so he gently corrects Cornelius and makes it clear that he was just a man like Cornelius. Peter then addressed this sizable group that had assembled, and he says this in verses 28 and 29, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or or to go to one of another nation. Um, But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean, Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. In other words, Peter said, you know, I'm really not supposed to be here, but here I am. Peter then asked them why he had been invited, and Cornelius said, we all are present before God to hear all the things commanded by you. In other words, 
they wanted to hear God's word. They wanted to hear through Peter what God had to say to them. And so I want us to look at three aspects of this text this morning. The audience, the sermon, and the climax of this story. Peter had just recognized that his dream had a deeper meaning than declaring the distinction between clean and unclean meat. He also then saw that the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles had been removed completely. He recognized something very important about this assembled group in the home of Cornelius. And so he prefaces his sermon with this observation. In truth, I perceive, that is, I now realize that God shows no partiality or no favoritism. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. That is a profound message. It's one that really has never been practiced since the fall. It's really our chief problem. It's the sin between us and our neighbors, especially other groups of people. And Peter is declaring, God has shown me that this gospel that I'm about to preach to you is the solution. The word nation here can be translated Gentiles or just human race. Peter is publicly proclaiming a shift, not only in his own thinking, because he says, I perceive this, or I realize this, but now uh, we will see that this is how the church itself is to move forward. God's attitude toward people is not determined by external criteria such as their appearance, their race, their nationality, or their class. Note that he says, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This doesn't mean that there was no need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not indifferent when it comes to what we believe. He is indifferent regarding nations, though. Uh, commentator uh, Linsky asked, if his honest pagan convictions, that is Cornelius, had been sufficient, why did he seek the synagogue? And why? And if the synagogue had been enough, why was Peter here? So Peter is about to teach him of the necessity of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. This statement wipes out generations of elitism and separation. God does not show favoritism to individuals because, again, of their social status, their wealth, their looks, or based on where they came from. And so I'll begin today's sermon by asking you to search your own heart about your own tendency to show favoritism or partiality towards some people over others. Are there some people who you would rush over to meet at church and others you would conveniently avoid? Every human being of every race, social status, age, ethnicity is made in the image of God and is in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul will write later in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. You remember, I, I'm thinking about when Samuel went in uh, and to the assembly of Jesse's sons to anoint the next king. You remember David wasn't there, but all of uh, David's brothers were there. And Samuel sees Eliab, the tall military guy, decked out, no doubt, in all of his regalia. And what does Samuel say in his own heart? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, not him. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the inside. I'm, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. I'm not, God's not impressed by Eliab. So back to Paul. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world that the things, and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are and that no flesh should glory in His sight. God loves to take nobodies and save them. Think about who Jesus really interacted with the most. They were at the bottom of the social scale, not the top. In fact, He had a lot to say about those who were at the top. The rich young ruler, the Pharisees, and others. It's not that they can't come into the kingdom. Some did. Paul's a good example of that. But it's harder to get a camel for the eye of a needle than it is to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. And yet we are often impressed. He chose the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who become for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let Him glory in the Lord. Verse 36, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. So this message of salvation, through which uh, uh, to, which came through Israel, it turns out that it's a message for everyone, because Jesus Christ is in fact Lord over all. Do you remember the parable of the Great Supper, where the first guests who were invited were too busy to come, and so the master said, "Go out quickly." into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So Jesus had been teaching this for a long time. So that's the audience. The sermon itself begins in verses, verses 36 through 41. And this is probably a summary of what he said, like is often the case in the book of Acts. This gospel is the only message, though, that will unite everyone. It is, it's the essential element that will create reconciliation with God 
and between people. And so Peter's sermon, is fo- uh, the sermon, the gospel is focused on here. First, the ministry of Jesus, then the death of Jesus on the cross, and then finally, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. Pretty simple, straightforward message. N.T. Wright comments on this text. He says, when Paul talks in his letters about the gospel, he doesn't primarily mean the way you can get, you two can get saved. He means the message that says that Jesus, the crucified and risen one, is the Lord of the whole world. And he says that message itself carries its own power. It acts as a summons to all who hear it. Some mock, of course, but others find themselves gripped, changed from the inside out, aware of a new presence and power inside of them. So it was that day. The Word of God, I've thought about this, and you've heard me say this perhaps about a wedding ceremony. I call them magic words. I now pronounce you husband and wife. And something just happened. Real. Something real just happened with those words. I was at a wedding where the uh, pastorette said, Um, these words don't really mean anything. They're just words. But they're not just words. And the Word of God is not, are not just words. They're living words. They're powerful words. They accomplish what they're sent to do in a mysterious way. I don't know how that works. But when God says, let there be light, there's light. And when Jesus says to Lazarus, come forth, he comes forth. And when the gospel is preached, God opens the ears, he opens the hearts. Like Paul at Athens, as he's preaching at the Areopagus, it says some mocked Paul. Some said, we'd like to hear you again. And then it just says, almost like a footnote, and some believed. They all heard the same message But some heard it savingly. Peter will describe believers this way in his first epistle in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. The Spirit takes the word of the gospel and through mere men... Remember, Peter has already reminded Cornelius, I'm just a man like you. And through that, he raises the dead. Jesus had told Nicodemus that he must be born again, and Nicodemus wanted an explanation. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from uh, and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Salvation is the work of God, and that's what's happening at Cornelius' house this day. So then Peter begins, and he talks about the ministry of Jesus. 
Now, the world is full of all kinds of conflict between people at all times and all ages. In fact, many were expecting at this time armed conflict with the Romans. Peter said that the ministry of Jesus began with the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. It is the lordship of Jesus that begins the work of peace. First in a man's heart, and then in the church. Verses 37 through 39, That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So from the time that Jesus was baptized and entered his public ministry, he demonstrated that he was, in fact, the anointed Messiah, and through his preaching and healing, he overcame the devil, and all of that started he says, in the land of the Jews. Israel was the first keeper of the gospel. And they were called to be priests to the nations. Then Peter tells us about the death of Jesus. All of this, all of this doing good that he demonstrated over and over in his public ministry got him killed. Whom they killed, he said, by hanging on a tree. Peter is alluding to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23, where it says, For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed by God. Jesus' life wasn't ordinary and neither was his death. Because his death was an indication of the judgment of God upon him. At this point, most people in the region knew about Jesus. We need to remember that. This was not some just small, little, obscure group. A lot had been going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Again, about a ten-year period here after the crucifixion. In fact, Peter said to Cornelius and his family and friends, that word which you know, indicating that they were already familiar with much of the story of Jesus. Again, thousands and thousands had been converted to Christ And the story of his crucifixion and resurrection had traveled far and wide. And so with the death of Jesus, the message of peace, personal peace and public peace, had died with him. So much for that message, right? Romans said, we'll shut you up permanently. Verses 40 and 41, him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day. And showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. The power of God intervened to turn the apparent defeat, hanging on a tree, public display, God turned that defeat into victory. Victory over the Romans and victory over death. 
This was not done in secret, but rather openly. Many eyewitnesses who didn't see a shadowy figure off in the distance, but rather, he says, we sat down and we ate with him and we drank with him after he rose from the dead. And now the reason this message is being preached all over the place is because the resurrected Jesus sent witnesses to testify. First, to warn people that He is the universal judge of the living and the dead. You know, this is an all or nothing claim here, right? Jesus says, I am Lord over everybody and everything and I will be the judge of everyone. Now that's either ludicrous, and many people think it is, and many people walked away then, and many people walk away now. But like at the Areopagus, some believed. Second, as to, as to all the, second, all the prophets bear witness through the name of Jesus that whoever, here's the, the heart of the message, whoever believes in Him will receive the remission of sins. Your sins will be canceled, paid for, debt-free. You are debt-free. Peter is telling Cornelius and his family and friends that this God whom you worship from afar has done all of this as part of His plan to, so that this conflict-ridden world, He might make things right in all of this through Jesus Christ. This was the mission God called Israel to in the first place. So Cornelius, you and everyone everywhere who believes this message is immediately and fully welcomed into God's family. No more standing outside in the court of the Gentiles. Non-Jews were allowed to enter the court of the Gentiles, but they were forbidden to go any further than the outer court. This appears to be what, when it says Cornelius was a God-fearing man, a God-fearer was a Gentile who would go to the synagogue and he could stand outside. Imagine we had a courtyard out there. Maybe those windows were open where they could hear some of what's going on, but they could not come in. They were not equal. The inner temple courtyards were closed, uh, and at the entrances to it, it uh, notices were posted in both Greek and Latin, warning foreigners and uncircumcised persons that crossing into one of the other courtyards was actually punishable by death. The Apostle Paul will elaborate on this point later in Ephesians chapter 2. Here, here, this is really a tremendous declaration. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, Cornelius, I'm inserting that for our story here, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. 
who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the conflict. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, you Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. No more racial division. No more division between nation and nation or ethnicity, tribe against tribe. He did away with that. So, Peter wraps up his sermon for the warning and a promise. Verse 42 and 43, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So in the future, Jesus, he says, will either be your judge or he'll be your savior. The Apostle Paul elaborates on this point in in Philippians 2, 8 through 10. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the same point Peter made when he spoke to the Sanhedrin previously in Acts chapter 4 when he referred to Jesus as the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. You didn't want anything to do with him. It turns out he's everything. Nor is there salvation in any other, Peter said to them, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then finally, we see the climax of this story here in verses 44 through 46. It tells us that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the words. We take that out, and the words fall to the ground. And those of the circumcision who believed... That is, the Christian, the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, this entourage that came with Peter to Cornelius' house, were watching this. They're already Christians. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. We should recall what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8. Right after the resurrection, 
He appears to them there in the very first opening chapter of Acts. They're gathered in one place, and he says to them, You shall receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on these first disciples, and the miracle of tongues was shown to all the Jews who were assembled there at Pentecost. Remember, they heard them speak in foreign languages. This was not gibberish. This was whatever the languages were that were assembled there, Italian or Spanish. I don't know what languages had developed at that point, but uh, whatever they were, they heard the gospel in their native tongue. So the Spirit's poured out on the Jews assembled in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Then in Acts 8, the Holy Spirit's poured out upon the Samaritans. And now the Spirit is coming upon the Gentiles as well. And not only Gentiles, but even Romans. What this will mean is that it is a short step culturally to everywhere else in the known world. So the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were witnesses of this event, and they, no doubt, became supporting witnesses for Peter when he reports this back to Jerusalem, which we'll look at next week. Then in verse 47 48, Peter says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he asked them, then they asked him to stay a few days. It's clear that water baptism was the formal public reception into the church, and that through this act, both Jew and Jews and Gentile believers were united in one body. The very next thing we see is that these new believers request Peter and his company to stay for a few days, no doubt to receive further instruction in the faith. Please don't leave. We have questions. Teach us. What do we do next? Where do we go from here? These events in the house of Cornelius will forever change the landscape of church history. No longer is the gospel just for Jews, but it's also for Gentiles. It's for every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Thanks be to God. Since most of us are melting pots of various nations, tribes, and races. That's really good news. And we, as I said last week, and I want to remind you, not only do we not need to be come under the sway of a culture that is full of all these conflicts, We are called to change the culture. We're here to bring a gospel culture. The good news that your sins have been forgiven. Your sins and my sins. Because our sins together is what creates all the strife, all the ugliness we see in the world. 
The ugliness in our families, the ugliness in our communities, the ugliness on the news, all of it is because of rebellion against God. And Jesus is the answer. He came and preached peace. And so, I call you not only to give thanks for your own salvation, but to speak up, to speak out, to step out. Everybody needs this message. This isn't a club. The world needs this message. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your perfect plan of salvation, which is unfolded through the ages, right on time, surprising to us, but not to you. To have our sins remitted, to have them paid for by Christ so that the cause of all of our troubles is dealt with and removed. Therefore, Lord, cause us great, to have great joy and celebration for so great a salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, you will observe that Peter's sermon was short and much to the point. He preached Jesus Christ to Cornelius immediately and unmistakably. He gave a very admirable sketch of the life of Jesus, of which he affirmed himself to have been an eyewitness, and he brought forward in his closing sentence just that simple gospel, which is our joy to preach. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Our loving Heavenly Father, we exalt and honor your name today for your loving kindness is better than life. We praise you for your perfect love, which is directed toward innocent and worthy objects, for you love that which is true and good and beautiful. O Lord, you display your love to all your creation, animate and inanimate, for you have pronounced it to be good. But, Father, you have also demonstrated your love toward rebellious sinners like us, and you rescued us even from ourselves, and for this we give thanks. Heavenly Father, we're tempted to despair when we consider our trials and tribulations. As Jeremiah declared, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Lord, we too often lament and cry for help, for we are frail and we are often in anguish. As we seek for renewal and strength, may we find it where this prophet found it, the only place where it may be found. May our mood be dramatically changed as we say with Jeremiah, Yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, and invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.